How's everybody doing today? I'm struggling to get this table up. There we go. All right. Did anybody do any Black Friday shopping? Anybody? If you did, you can put your hand up. Uh, another question. Anybody do, has anybody started their Christmas shopping? Anybody got their Christmas shopping finished? Anybody start their Christmas shopping on Black Friday? Trying to get them sales? Totally understand that. I didn't do any Black Friday shopping. For those of you who don't know, I am a recovering shopaholic. Um, I have a, or used to have, because the Lord has delivered me, sort of, from that. Uh, I used to have a bad tendency to go shopping uh, quite often. You know, so this past year, I've stayed away from Bay Days, which has been really tough because, oh man, when the Bay has a sale, you have to take advantage of it. I, you know, I use an iPhone 7 Plus and the iPhone 8 Plus came out and I was like, I'm not going to get it. I, I need to hold on to, to this treasure of this iPhone 7 Plus. Then the iPhone X came out and I was like, no, I'm not going to get it. But then when I saw the iPhone XS Max, I said, this is the phone the Lord has for me. And no longer am I tied to this iPhone 7 Plus, but the Lord has delivered me into a new season uh, of an iPhone 7, or sorry, an iPhone 10 Plus Max. Oh, it's tremendous. 10X Max. Just oh, so beautiful, guys. Well, I am, I'm tremendously excited. I, I love getting new things. I love having uh, new clothes. And uh, for those of you who have started Christmas shopping, I commend you. You're tremendous. I know that my wife has started Christmas shopping already. Uh, I know this because a couple weeks ago on a Friday night, I was getting ready for youth. And I was like, I need something to wear. And I have a bad habit of leaving my laundry on our couches when it's folded nice and neatly for me. For those of you who visited, you know that this is a bad tendency of mine. Uh, and I was going through the laundry, the clean clothes, and I saw this really nice sweater. And so I'm like, I'm going to wear this tonight. And I put it on. I thought it was a late birthday gift that my wife had procured for me. And so I was here. And then when my wife got here from work, I said, hey, babe, I love you so much. Thanks for the late birthday gift. And in that moment, I knew that it was not a late birthday gift. Uh, my wife looked at me and said, I hate you. You ruined Christmas. Now, now, I'm, my wife doesn't actually hate me. Maybe I kind of ruined Christmas because I found my Christmas gift already. But what can I do? I'm that type of guy. I just like seeing new things, and I, I enjoy getting uh, new things, and I enjoy wearing new clothes. And so, you know, sorry, babe, I still appreciate the gift. You just, that just means she has to buy me another gift. For those of you who are just joining us this morning uh, and you're wondering who this chocolate brother is that's ruining Christmas, my name is Pastor Stefan. I am the senior high and young adults pastor here at Stouffville Pentecostal Church. And uh, <laughs> we have been in a series the last few weeks entitled All Things New. And Pastor Jeff and Helen, as Pastor Lori mentioned earlier, they are away this week, but they will be back next week. I believe Pastor Jeff will close the series unless the Holy Spirit tells him to keep preaching in this series. Then we'll continue with it. This morning, I wanted to uh, jump right in. Let's go into the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says this, Do not or don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. By changing the way you think, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Let's pray one more time. Holy Spirit, have your way in this building. Have your way in this place this morning. 
We thank you for the worship. Father God, as the word goes forth, would you use me as a vessel, Father God? I decrease so that you may increase in this moment, Father God. I pray that chains would be broken. Lives would be healed. Would you touch those who need a touch from you this morning? In your name I pray. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, neighbor, you're looking good today. I just wanted you to introduce yourself to your neighbor. We'll, we'll, you'll come back to them in a few moments. We, we are in the book of Romans. And Romans is, is quite the interesting book. I don't know how many of you guys enjoy theology. I don't know how many of you guys enjoy reading about theology. Uh, I, in Bible college, had a habit of not getting into theological conversations with people because I didn't like having long, drawn-out arguments about theolo- theology. However, theology is important. We need to understand where we get our beliefs from. And Paul does this remarkable thing with the book of Romans in that he writes out a theological book for half of it. The first half, Romans uh, 1 to 11, is about theology. It's Paul writing out our, our theology for the people, the church, churches of Rome. He highlights the need for sal- salvation, the, the grace and the mercy of God displayed through Jesus and his work on Calvary. If you want a a theological textbook, just pick up the book of Romans and read the first few chapters. But in the final chapters of Romans, 12 to 15, he highlights how we apply our theology to our lives. What can we do as believers to exhibit and show this grace and mercy to the world around us? And so Paul writes that as believers, we do not copy the customs of this world. Oftentimes, we see this in the Old Testament. God tells the people of Israel, you're not to be like all the other nations. You're not to be like the nations around you. You are separate. You are different. You are my chosen people. And we see with the Israelites, we see how, you know, when they live the way God calls them to live, they, they receive the, sac- the, the blessings that God has for them. But when they they follow the customs of the world around them, it leads them to captivity. It leads them to be overrun by different countries and different nations. And Paul is writing for us the same thing. Paul is writing for us that we aren't to be like the rest of the world. I, for those of you who don't know, I like to use social media quite frequently. And I have a tendency to go on Twitter and sort of just scroll through and see what's happening in the world. Facebook too sometimes. And I'll I'll notice on Twitter and I'll notice on social media that there are a lot of people, there are a lot of, of Christians, believers who believe in God, who believe what the Word of God says, who have taken the Word of God and sort of adapted it to the world around them. They've adapted it to society. Which is strange to me because Paul says, do not copy the customs and behaviors of this world. When he says that, he's really saying, do not be uh, conformed to this world. Do not be molded by this world. We as believers, we can't allow what we believe to be molded by the world. We live in a sinful age. We live in an age which is under control of the enemy 
And when Paul is writing this world, he's actually using a Greek word. I'm going to try not to butcher this. Aeon. I think it's Aeon. I'm pretty sure it's Aeon. And in the Greek, it actually translates to this age. And this is the same word, aeon, that is used by John in John, uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. It says that we know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. We know that we are children of God and that the age around us, the age in which we live in, is under the control of the evil one. We live in a world that man has built. We live in a world where humans, mankind, we have have built up a world in order to make us happy without God. A world that says you don't need God to be happy. Just buy a new iPhone. We don't need God to be happy. Just buy a new car. We don't need God to be happy. Just do whatever you feel is right. However, uh, that is not true. This world, this kingdom of the world, it's antagonistic to God. This world seeks to attract and hold people through the lust of the eyes. And the one in control of this world has come to seek, to kill, to seek, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy your life. Yes, seek to steal. Seek to steal, kill, and destroy. I thought somebody else would have corrected me. Everybody's really quiet this morning. Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, then I'll accept the quietness. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, neighbor, it's me again. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I want you to know that the God of this world is the enemy. And he's going to put up something in front of you to make you think that you are happy. I use this sort of example on Friday night with our students. When I was in high school, which was only a few years ago, when I was in high school, I was on the football team. I played football. I know I, I, know I look like I didn't play football, but trust me, I did. Uh, I played football, and we had our games on Friday nights, and we'd practice throughout the week, but Mondays was very important. Mondays was film study. Monday, Monday, uh, Monday nights, Monday afternoons after school, we would sit in our video room, and we would watch film. We would watch the previous game that we just played, figured out where our mistakes were, figured out what we need to improve, and then we'd watch the other team. We watch what they do, what their tendencies are. And the enemy watches you. He studies you. He knows what gets you angry. He knows how he can entice you to follow the customs and behaviors of this world. The enemy has, so to say, set a trap for you. Our society, our world, it's selfish. It's built on the pride of mankind. Society wants everyone to conform to the patterns of the world, conform to the same ideas. It doesn't take much for people to boycott something nowadays. I was driving along Dundas yesterday, and people were boycotting Canada Goose. Because Canada Goose uses real fur. But I've also seen people boycott funerals. 
We also see people boycott weddings. We also see people boycott food establishments, which is perfectly fine because when Chick-fil-A gets to Canada, everybody else can boycott. That way there are no lines for me when I get there. I just want everybody to know that. You can join me if you want. All right? People can boycott as much as they want. I will be first in line. Y'all block up everybody else. Because people have a, a, a lot of time to spend boycotting things, especially the things that don't line up with their values, especially the values that aren't in line with modern society, with, that aren't in line with the world around us. Society, as I said, it focuses now on what feels best. Feelings are what rule the day, but it's, it's not truth. Isn't that weird? You could tell someone the truth, and they might feel that it's wrong. One plus one is two. No, I feel one plus one should equal four. Popular thinking. Modern society is a continual rebellion against God and his authority. And it seeks, it seeks to get people to conform to a world's view which is godless. But as followers, we do not take our cues from society. It is hard to be fully devoted to Christ and also be fully devoted to the world. The two are at odds. You, you can't be, be one foot in the world and one foot out. No. That doesn't work. You're always going to be at conflict with yourself. Now, I say all this, but we have to remember not to be legalistic. It's very important that we aren't legalistic about it. And when I say legalistic, I mean we don't hold it over other believers. You know, oh, did you see, did you see this person? Did you see what they were wearing? Girl, you know they shouldn't be wearing that. No, we don't, we don't do that. We're not legalistic about it. We are not creating for ourselves an unbearable set of rules. Will we make mistakes? Of course we will make mistakes. I am not perfect. I'm close. Close. I'm not perfect. So when Paul writes with this warning about copying the world, he's laying out how our relationship be with society. As believers, we're called to be in the world, but not of it. This age, this world, it tries to squeeze us into copying behaviors. tries to mold us into a certain way. We're called to be separate. We're called to be different. We're called to live in light and not in darkness. This is why Paul says, do not copy. And you'll see in different translations, do not be conformed. Do not be influenced. Do not be molded and squeezed by this world. We are meant to be on display for the world to see who Jesus is. And when we are conformed to the world, we are not able to display Jesus' love, his grace, and his mercy. Paul writes to the church in Rome that being believers means that we are not conforming to the world. It is not an option for us. Bless you. And Paul often does this. He'll say, do not do something, but do this instead. 
In order to become a new person, Paul knows that we have to change the way we think. Look at your neighbor. Actually, look at your other neighbor and say, hey, other neighbor, is your mind right? Some of you guys haven't been introduced to your other neighbor yet today. We had handshake time. Was it not long enough? Hey, other neighbor, is your mind right? See, for Paul, Paul knows that the mind is what controls everything. See, our mind is our CPU. It controls what we think. It controls what we do. It controls our actions. It controls how we see things. If we are an angry person all the time and someone steps on our shoes. Now, hold on, though. No. If someone steps on our shoes and we're angry and in our mind we're just angry at the world, then what, hap- what comes out? Anger. In the, in the translation that we're reading from the NLT, a new person is actually, actually referencing changing your mind. And in order to become a new person, you must have a new mind. How we view everything around us is controlled by what is in our mind. Our minds are the control center of our attitudes, our thoughts, our feelings, our actions. And Paul says that God wants your mind because he knows the power of your mind. God wants us to think his thoughts. God wants us to know him with our mind. You know, the problem, as I sort of said earlier with a lot of people, but the problem I see also with a lot of believers is that we're living a life of feeling. It's either we live on feeling or we live only on doing. A life based on feeling says, how do I feel today? How do I feel about my job? How do I feel about my wife or my husband? How do I feel about worship? How do I feel about the preacher? This life by feeling will never know the transforming power of God because it ignores the renewing of the mind. The life based on doing, though, says, don't give me your theology, just tell me what to do. Some of us sometimes come to church and we just want the four points or the seven points. We just want the points. Tell me what to do and I will do. But this life will never know the transforming power of God because it ignores the renewing of the mind as well. God is never against feeling and doing. He is a God of powerful and passionate feeling and he commands us to be doers, yet feelings and doing are completely insufficient foundations for the Christian life. The first questions cannot be, how do I feel or what do I do? It must be, what is true here? What does God's word say? What does God's word say? This is the opposite of being conformed to the world. The battleground between conforming to the world and being transformed is within our minds. And as followers of God, we must think different. We think based on what we read. And when we read the word of God, it grows in us. But I want to give away the message a little too early. We got some more to go. Paul says, uh, be transformed. Allow God to transform you. Let God transform you into a new person. That word transform, it's very interesting. Transform is not a one-time event. It's not like that. 
sorry to break it to you guys. For those of you who, who love me so much and wish that I would transform. No, I'm just kidding. It's a lifelong process. It requires daily work, daily sacrifice. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, neighbor, transformation requires sacrifice. I think I should, you know what, I th- here's what we're going to do in the new year. I, I'm not making an executive decision, just saying that, everybody. Make it very clear, it is on record. I think what we should do is we should all walk around wearing buttons that say work in progress. Work in progress. Uh, because we're all continually being worked on. God is continuously working on us. We are a continued construction project being worked on. Paul uses a word in the Greek, metamorpho, which translates to metamorphosis. And, and when we read that, meta, it's actually two words put together. Meta is a change in place or condition. Morpho, or morpho, morpho, I'm going to say morpho, means form or shape of something. Look at your neighbor. Yeah, you're talking to your neighbor again. They're probably going to get tired. I hope you guys have brought gum. Uh, you know, you're talking to your neighbor a lot. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, neighbor. We're learning Greek today. Metamorphosis. We, we as believers, we go through metamorphosis. And this specific phrase, this specific word is used four times in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 17, verse 2. Mark chapter 9, verse 2, in reference to Jesus on the mount. The mount with transfiguration. Here in this verse, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and then in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. To be transformed describes a change on the outside that comes from the inside. An inside job, so to say, so to speak. And Paul is calling for an outward change in the character and the conduct of believers, which is to correspond with his or her inward spiritual condition. Our actions need to line up with what we believe. But if our actions don't line up with what we believe, then what are we actually changing? Are we actually transforming? Everything flows out of the mind. and Paul recognizes the importance of the mind. There's another Greek word that Paul uses. I'm going to butcher this one. Anakinosis. And it roughly translates into a word that resembles the word renovate. Anybody ever done a home renovation? An inside home renovation? The outside stays exactly the same, but what's worked on is the inside. See, when we see Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we need to remember and think of an interior home renovation. Now, for some of you, it might have been a painful renovation. Might have taken a long time, but you're happy with the finished product because there's a transformation. We need to have our inside worked on. The transformation that Paul is writing about is a renovation of our minds. And so when when he writes that word in the Greek, anakinosis, he's writing with a passive voice. Now, 
I struggled a bit trying to unpack what this really means. One, because I sort of may have never actually taken Greek when I was in Bible college, or I may not have paid attention as well as I should have. I'm going to let your mind be the deciding factor in that one. However, I had to do a lot of digging to understand this passive voice. And what that means in the Greek is that the subject is being acted upon by an outside force or power. So when Paul writes, let God transform you, let God metamorphosis you, metamorphose you, he's making very plain to us that we can only do so much. There has to be an outside force that will help us. I really thought I'd get a couple of amens uh, based on that. Let, let me, I'll go over to this side. I've been preaching a lot to that side. When Paul writes that there needs to be an outside force, that means that we cannot do it on ourselves. Thank you. See? Come on, tap. Yeah, you know, you guys, if you won't talk to me, you'll talk to your neighbor. Tap your neighbor and say, it's me again. We need an outside force. Come on, somebody. That outside force is the Holy Spirit. That outside force helps our mind to be renewed. As our minds are renewed, the Word of God takes root in our lives. Our actions will change. Our outward will reflect the inward. And for Paul, this verse is to remind us that everything written in the first 11 chapters about the righteousness of God, about his works out of love, is to be reflected into the world. We are to prove to the world that God is good and God is real. That's why we, we can't associate God with, with one specific way of thought. We can't associate God with one political party or one restaurant or, or whatever. Because God is above the things of this world. And when we do that, we do a disservice to God and make him look less than he actually is. If we make God conform to a modern thought, then that means that God is a liar. And if God is a liar, then what could be true? But how many of us know that God is not a man that he should lie? He is not a man who is swayed by public opinion, or he is not one who is swayed by public opinion. Our God stands outside of this world. He stands outside of time. And as we are transformed by his Holy Spirit and we draw closer, we are able to hear God's voice stronger and we're able to know his heart. We are to be transformed so that we will know God's will for our lives. This is why we need a new mind. Because a new mind with a new spirit leads us to do new actions. And when we walk in a new spirit with a new mind, it leads us into a new season. I think we've used this verse a few times. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, creation. The old life is gone and the new life has new life begins when you think differently. A new life begins when your mind is new. A new life begins when we allow Jesus, when we allow the Holy Spirit 
to transform our mind. Sometimes I, I wonder, what would the world look like if we were all new creations and if we all had new minds and if we didn't allow the world to conform us? What would the church look like? So let me give you some tips, some, some key points, some takeaways. The first one is seek Jesus first or seek Jesus first daily. In order to have a new mind, in order to be transformed, in order to uh, allow that outside force to change us, we have to seek Jesus first. When Jesus left, he said, I'm sending another who will help you. That is why he sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as we read the word of God, as we spend time reading uh, God's word, his, his word, it, the Holy Spirit will help us. It will bring us closer to him. Seek Jesus First, daily as we grow closer to God, our transformation pulls us away from the selfish thinking of this world. The second, recognize where selfish thoughts come from. We all have them. We all have selfish thoughts. If anybody tells me they don't have a single selfish thought, I need you to teach me how not to have a selfish thought. We have to recognize where selfish thoughts come from. We need to root them out. It's not enough to just think positive in the moment. That's great. But that only deals with the surface. We need to get down deep into the root. We need to allow God, we, we, we need to ask God, God, reveal to me where, where the selfish thought is coming from. Becoming a, a new person, going through a renovation, a transformation, God is going to have to rip up the old in order to replace it with the new. Third point, replace self-focused thinking with a, with a God-focused mindset. A God-focused mindset. This is, this is pretty tough. This is tough for us because uh, as humans, we're, we're sort of selfish in nature. We're sort of meant to, to think of ourselves first all the time. It's really tough when someone does something against us. It's really tough for us to say, you know what? I didn't like that. I'm going to get you back. I'm kidding. It's not tough at all. It's pretty easy. The tough part is turning the other cheek. The tough part is loving your enemy. The tough part is saying, oh, I'm in the world. I'm not going to be of the world, but I'm going to love the world. Oh, I'm in the world, but, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust that God is leading me to help change the world. It's easy to shun it. It's another thing to do what Jesus did and get right into it. We have these things on our walls in the sanctuary, and they're, they're located throughout the building. Uh, it's one over there, one over there. Oftentimes, sometimes the temperature in this room is a little too cold. It's a little too hot. We're still working out some of the bugs. Uh, but the thermostats, they control the temperature in the room. Now, if I had a thermometer, the thermometer would re react to the temperature changes, Right? 
we as God's people need to be thermostats and not thermometers. We need to be the ones setting the climate, not adapting to the climate. Recognize where selfish thoughts come from. Replace self-focused thinking with a God-focused mindset. Let's look at a couple of verses. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 2. It says, Since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature will think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about the things that please the Spirit. What pleases the Holy Spirit? Feeding the poor, clothing the naked, helping those who are less fortunate. We have a barrel outside for for city street outreach. That pleases the Spirit. And maybe one day you'll be able to go downtown with, with, with them and, and sort of see what it is they do. That pleases the Spirit to be following the mission that God gave us, to be following the example of what Jesus did. Philippians 4, verse 8, it says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Transformation requires us to change our thinking. Requires us to get closer to God. Requires us to have a new mindset that is focused on what God wants. Fourth point, accept acceptance. This is a little tough. Because I can stand up here and preach, and Pastor Jeff and Pastor Jordan and Pastor Lori can stand up here and preach and say, God loves you. God accepts you for who you are. Yeah, you've done wrong. Yeah, you've sinned, but God still loves you. God pours out his grace on you. But it's one thing for us to say it. It's another thing for you to accept it. And I think that there are people who are hard on on themselves because they don't always accept the fact that they are accepted. And we need that mindset. We need that thought in our minds that we are accepted by God. No matter where you come from, no matter what you've done, no matter what wrong you've done, there is no sin that God cannot forgive. And you cannot do anything that makes you escape his love. First Peter Chapter 1, verse 5, And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. God accepts you. You're protected by his salvation. He accepts you. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, So now, this is one of my favorite verses, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. No matter the sin. God still loves you. All he asks is that you believe. All he asks is that you trust in Jesus and recognize the power of Jesus to save you. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 16 and 17. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. We accept God's grace and we rest in it. But having a new mind, being transformed, having a new mindset, a part of that means that we're also going to share in his suffering. That also means that we might be ridiculed. That also means that we might be called names. That also means that the world will hate us. But that's okay because this world is temporary. And one day Jesus is going to come back for his people. But until then, we live focused on God. We live focused on the things of Jesus. We live focused with a renewed mind. And the last one, last point is repeat every day. I said earlier, transformation is not a one-time thing. It's a constant process. You could be 85 years old and God still will be working on you. If any of us lives to be 200, God will still be working on you. You could have been a Christian your entire life, and God says, I still, ah, the process is still going. I still got to change something in you. I still got to work on you still. It is a continued process of transformation. And sometimes things will happen in our lives so God can continue that process. God will bring people in your lives to help you with that process. God will take people out of your lives to help you with that process. A situation might occur, and God is saying, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to transform you through this. A door may close, and God says, I'm trying to transform you through this. That's why, that's why it's that outside force that is meant to help us. The Holy Spirit helps us as we go through that transformation process. But it requires sacrifice. It requires giving up of something. It requires not being conformed to this world. Anybody ever been scuba diving before? I have not because I am afraid of water and I don't swim, so I stay out the water, uh, which sort of... Like, you know, we go on vacations and stuff, and Jamie will go in the water. I will not um, because I don't, I don't swim. But a scuba, scuba diver, they have their equipment. And if they have their equipment, they have something very critical to them. It's their oxygen tank. And their oxygen tank allows them to go into water and not be impacted by the water. If water gets into them, if water gets into their equipment somehow, if water gets into their lungs, if water somehow manages to sneak in, eventually they will, they'll die. We have an oxygen tank. It's the Holy Spirit. We're able to go into the world and not be conformed by the world. But when we allow the world to dictate what we do, how we think, how we act. We lose out on what God has for us. We've got to be willing 
to sacrifice. We've got to be willing to make sure that we spend time in the Word daily. Anybody like opera music? That is exactly what I thought would happen. I'm not going to do it. Um, There was a singer. His name was Jerome Hines. He was an opera singer. And as a boy, he grew up in California. And somebody told him he had a good voice. And so he spent time training his voice. And he wanted to become a star in the Metropolitan Opera Company in, I think it's Los Angeles. That's what he lived for. That's what he wanted to do. He built his life around that. Gave up all other activities, all other pursuits, all other pleasures to give himself to the work of training to become an opera star. He learned how to intonate his voice. He learned musical projection. He learned several languages so that he could sing in different languages. He was devoted to becoming an opera star. He gave his life to becoming an opera star. And it finally came true. He became a star. And at the height of his fame, someone asked him a question about what it's like. And he said it was empty and hollow. One day, he heard a man singing. And this voice was as good as his, and maybe even better. The man could sing the same way that Jerome could. He could intonate, he could project, he could do it all. And he was singing these words, I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Beverly Shea was singing those words, and Jerome Hines, he heard it. And he began to think about it. And out of that, hearing those words, he became a follower, he became a Christian. But he didn't quit the opera. He didn't leave the opera. A lot of people thought that he should have. A lot of of people said, you you can't do opera and be a follower of God. I didn't know the opera world was so like that, I guess. They thought the opera was worldly. No opera is worldly except for those who think like worldlings and live like worldlings. Jerome Hines, he stayed in the opera. He, He was singing differently now. He was not singing for the advancement of Jerome. He was not singing so that he could become greater. He was singing for the glory of God. He dedicated his art, his work, his all to that purpose. God doesn't take us out of the world. He wants us to live in the world. But he wants us to change our thinking. He wants us to have a new mind. Jerome, he had a few uh, few opportunities, and, and there was this one opera that came up. It was the role that he had always wanted. He had trained for it for years. 
months and months of hard work, and he was given the role, and he was told that the choreography of the dance was quite modern. I don't know what that means. Maybe it was a Beyonce dance? I I don't know. And he saw the dance, and he said, I I can't do this. I won't sing if you're going to have this kind of dance in it. He was told he better go see the the man in charge, the, the, the man who oversaw the entire opera. And he said to the general manager, Sir, if you have that dance in the opera, then I am not going to sing it. And the general manager said, Listen, if you don't sing it, you will be blacklisted in the opera world. Jerome said, sir, I cannot sing in the opera. I am not going to let my name be used to entice people to come in and see filth like this. You can break me and the union can break me. I've worked hard for months to train for this role, but I will not sing in your opera if this dance is in it. And so the general manager, he said, Jerome, you, you don't have to sing. If you feel that way, we'll get someone else. We can't get you to do it. That's fine. We're not going to force you. But your contract is your contract. And so Jerome, he gives up this role that he's been training for, for a lifetime. Would you be willing to sacrifice something that you've been training for, for a lifetime? In order to honor God? This is what Paul is saying this morning. Not going along with the pattern of the thinking of this world. Not willing, not being willing to go in for all that goes in for its pursuit of pleasure and happiness. If you do that every day, it probably gets really tough, that constant pressure. And, and the world, people who aren't followers don't understand why you would do that. Why? You would allow God to transform you. We do that because we have a greater purpose, a greater calling. As we are transformed, then we know God's will for us. As our mindsets are changed, then we know what God's will for us is. We are able to hear God, connect with him on a deeper level, and know what God has in store for us. then we're able to have the mind of Christ. We're able to look at the scriptures and we're able to look at the people the way God looks at people. We're able not to advance our will. We're able to not have selfish focuses, selfish tendencies, but we're about building the kingdom. Worship team, you can join me on stage. I'm almost done. So if you could put that first slide up, the verse for me, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not copy the customs and the behaviors of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. God still speaks today. God's voice is still ringing through today. 
What is God trying to transform in your life? I said it's not instant, so God is continuously trying to work on us. What is God trying to work on in our minds? Our lives are meant to build the kingdom. Amidst this world, we are meant to build kingdom. And the only way we can do that is if we have a renewed mind, if we can have a new mind which will be able to enable, sorry, which will enable us to be a new person. Close your eyes, bow your heads. Talking this morning about becoming a new person. And if you're here and you've heard the song sung, you've heard the word preached, and you say, yeah, you know what? I don't like who I am. You say, yeah, you know what? There's got to be more than this. I've become successful, but I still feel empty and hollow. Well, let me tell you, there is someone who can fill that hollowness. And his name is Jesus. So with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I think I need to begin a relationship with Jesus today. If that's you, would you just put your hand up? If you're here and and you want to start a new relationship with Jesus, one that will fulfill your life in ways that money cannot, in ways that things cannot, I want you to pray this prayer with me, and we'll pray it in a moment. But at the same time, I know that there are people here who, who you've probably followed God for a while, but you say, you know what, my, I've sort of drifted away, and I need to come back. If that's you, would you pray this prayer as well? You don't have to pray it out loud. Just, just repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. God, I admit that I am a sinner. I admit that I have failed. But thank you for sending your son to die on a cross for me. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Be my savior. Be my guide. And transform my mind. And from this day forward, I am saved. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, you need to know that the angels in heaven, they're throwing a party. They're dancing on the streets of gold. They rejoice when when someone finds Jesus. They rejoice when someone accepts Jesus because they love to see salvation. But, But there's another group of people here this morning. You see, you've heard the word. And you say, you know what, I, there's something going on in my life and I need God. I need the Holy, I need an outside force that is going to come and transform me. I need an outside force that is going to come and help me be transformed into the creation that God has created me to be. If that's you, I, uh, you know, uh, if that's you and you, you want prayer, you, you just want to say, God, I, I, I need it, I need it. Well, I'm going to invite you to step out of your seat. And, and find a spot around the front row or around the front here. And we'll come pray for you when we can, when we get to it. Uh, but, but why do I say that? Why do I always ask for people to take a step out, out of their seat and come here? Because it's a sign. 
It's a sign that you're willing to step out in front of people and say, this is what I need to do. It's a public display of what is inside. And so the band's going to play in a moment, and if you need prayer, I want you to, to come on up. We'll, Pastor Lori, Pastor Jordan, myself, we're here. Some of the members of our prayer team were here, and we want to pray for you. We want to pray for your transformation. We want to pray for your continued transformation. Because I know that there is an enemy who is out to steal, kill, and destroy, who wants to destroy any hope that you have of a transformation. He wants to destroy any hope that you have of having a changed life. But I want you to know that there is a community of believers. That's why God created more than one person. That's why God created uh, humanity, because we are not meant to live alone. We're not meant to walk alone. We're meant to walk in community. And so we want to be with you. We want to walk with you. The only reason that at the age of six I wanted to be a pastor was because I wanted to walk with people. I wanted to journey with people. I want to celebrate the highs and the lows. Because I know that there is a God that when we are together as a body of believers, there is nothing that can stop us. And so your hurts are my hurts. And the Holy Spirit wants to help transform all of our hurts. Is that, is that if, you can, if you believe that, will you just shout an amen at me real quick? So listen, the band's going to play, but if you need prayer, please come on up. And allow us to pray for you. Let's pray together. Let us pray together, and I, I want us to have a new mind that we can be transformed so that we can show the world what is good and what is pleasing and what is perfect, so that we can show the world that God is real and he is never changing. And that his promises are yes and amen because he is the same God yesterday who promised to take care of you. He's the same God who today who promises to take care of you. And he'll be the same God forevermore who will promise to take care of you.